Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Genesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long and but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets began, were bre- beginning to break. So they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down to, at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that had, they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid from now, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. That deserves a round of applause and well done. Well done, well done. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. We are in the season of Epiphany in a sermon series uh, entitled Good News for a Change. And as we have been saying each and every week, it has something to do with evangelism and outreach. And as a matter of fact, I, I want us to stop here at the beginning and pray for that person that God may reach through you. I, I hope that at some point during this season, as I keep telling you, we're going to redeem terms like evangelism and outreach, and I want to restore, you heard it again today, about as clear as you can hear it, you are to be catching people, you and I are to be catchers of people, like real people, like people with names, people probably that you are working with or living near or somehow, so if you don't mind, why don't we just start now with a brief word of prayer that God would help us to not only hear this message, but to be this message throughout the rest of the week. Let's pray. Father, bring to mind names and faces, circumstances. Allow us to see how it is that we might be used as tools in your hand to reach and to extend hospitality, to extend this message of grace, to extend this message of hope, to help you as you rescue. May we see 
a face, may we hear a name, and may we start now to develop the courage that will allow us to move when you ask us to move. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Have you seen the commercial of the young woman who was in her kitchen and she has just ruined the chicken? She's just ruined the dish. And it's not good because there's somebody coming over. It looks like there's going to be a date later on, right? And so what does she do? She calls her dad. She calls her dad. And dad says, okay, what do you got in the cabinet? What do you have in the pantry? And sure enough, they're able to somehow salvage this dish and salvage the whole evening because dad, who knows his way around the kitchen, helps her to make something out of the disaster that she has made. This, I need to tell you, chili cook-off day. Okay, so you have, you have Christmas Day, and you have Thanksgiving, and you have Easter, you have the first couple of days of March Madness. And then for me, I jump out of the bed to come to church on, on chili cook-off day. I love this day. I get to test and uh, taste all of the, uh, the different chilies for the day. I just love this day. I do know, though, having heard some of your stories, that some of the best chili comes from some of the greatest disasters if you have the right person in the kitchen. Like, you can actually mess up a meatloaf, but it could make a pretty good chili if you know what you're doing. (laughs) I have had the high honor and privilege of sitting with some of you over the last couple of weeks, and I have found myself saying this same corny line, and I apologize if I have unleashed this line on you. I, I have said to you something like this, God can take these lemons these bitter, sour experiences in our lives. And God somehow, I don't know how God does it, but sometimes God is able to make pretty good lemonade out of it. There, there have, some of you have been through awful, painful, depressing, dark circumstances that are probably not even captured by the the metaphor of the lemon, right? It's probably worse than that, but we'll just stick with it for a while. And, And the best I have had to say to you is this. Yes, even this, even this, God can use. Even this wound, God can use. Even this failure, God can use. So as I, as I talked with you today about um, outreach and evangelism, my suspicion is that some of you did have a name or a face come to mind. Oh, that's somebody who could really use the gospel. Here's somebody who could really take a dose of good news, but you understand yourself to be the problem in that situation. If not for who I am and what I bring to the table, God might be able to work in and through me <laughs> to get to somebody. That's what I want to talk about today. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about you, the potential outreacher, you, the evangelist. How might God be able to use all that you are, broken places and all, to reach somebody else? Is that, does it sound like God? I would submit to you that it does, that it does sound like God. Uh, last week, I kind of finished up with the story of Stephen. If you remember, and even if you weren't here last week, so I'm going to catch up a little bit. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is doing an unthinkable, dangerous thing. He's telling believing people that they haven't read Scripture right, and man, they are ready to kill him, right? still happens today. Rocks, just like these, were thrown at Stephen. 
And guys, they executed Stephen because he challenged the way that they thought faith should be, challenged their definition of God. Stephen did. He retold the entire story of Scripture in this speech, and then they killed him. Now, just off camera, perhaps you couldn't see it because it was just off camera, there was Saul, who was taking part, in a sense, he held, and this is what Scripture says, he held their coats so that they could have plenty of arm flexibility to throw their stones, Saul. Now later, as you know, or hopefully you know, God would find this Saul. And what do you think this God did to this Saul? That's right, God called him into ministry. Changes his name from Saul to Paul. This one who had worked very hard, by his own admission, worked very hard to persecute the church. God took this one, failures and all, and called him into service. Because, and this will be a recurring theme, the point is not Saul's failure, the point is God's grace. Make some sense? Paul even says it about himself, I am the least of the apostles. Unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me has not been in vain. This is one of the passages I had to, to choose from today as it came to choosing a text to preach to you. Here is another one. It's in Isaiah 6. And typically we understand this sixth chapter of Isaiah to be the, the story of God's calling of Isaiah into the ministry. So Isaiah is having some sort of a spiritual experience, and it includes angels and wings and fire and all of this stuff, and, and Isaiah is so deeply convinced that sure enough, God is on the scene that Isaiah finally says, hang on a second. If God is here, then God knows who I'm not. Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal, this is Isaiah speaking, that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. And then there's this, verse eight. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Three verses earlier, he was saying, woe is me. Three verses earlier, he was giving voice to his sinfulness. I am a man of unclean lips, and I'm, I live amongst people who have unclean lips. <laughs> Woe is me. God says, yes, and we need to be careful here. What I am saying to you is that the lemons that you perhaps supply to your story <laughs> do not disqualify you for the calling of God. That said, it is not cheap grace. Suppose you are a person with an addiction. God comes to you and says, your addiction does not define you. I see something in you that I want to call and call out. I want to press you into service. This is, you, you should not say in that moment, 
oh, good, I guess addictions are okay then. I, I guess my quiet prejudice is okay then. I guess my bad habit, my disposition, I guess all of that is fine. No, that's the definition of cheap grace. No, what it is is this. God is saying, whatever it is that you have done to self-sabotage, whatever, whatever wounds you suffer, all the different ways that you might shoot yourself in the foot, God says, I don't let those things define you in my eyes, and I see a place for you in the mission, in the kingdom. But that doesn't mean you don't have to show up for your own rehab. It's not cheap grace. In so many ways, if you ask Saul who becomes Paul, it's costly grace. If you ask Isaiah, it's costly grace. If you ask Simon Peter, it's costly grace. It's not about whether or not you are qualified somehow by your good behavior. It's whether or not you're willing to allow the grace of God to move and change you. Are you willing to allow the grace of God to move and change you? There's a lot of little turns on a phrase that Christians have used all the time. And actually, they kind of work here, right? It's not about your ability. It's about your availability. Those things work. Another one I heard not too long ago, God doesn't so much call the qualified as God qualifies the called. I mean, yeah, those all belong on pin cushions somewhere, right? They belong on cushions on our couch, not pin cushions. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> those belong in frames, needle pointed somehow, right? We've heard those things perhaps all of our lives. Listen to the end of Chesney's story. I was blessed with the opportunity to go to Uganda and hang out with the kids in the orphanage there. And um, our ministry was also able to go out to the surrounding villages and witness there. And during one of those, um, I guess, excursions, um, <laughs> I was suddenly feeling very ill and I needed to go sit down or something. And um, <laughs> This woman approached us and said, hey, you're welcome to come and stay in my house for just a minute, and if you need to sit down, that's fine. And I walk into her house, and it has one room, and there's kind of a makeshift kitchen on the left, and her bed is on the right with one um, outfit hanging on the wall. And she walks over to her bed and pulls over one blanket and says, you're welcome to my home. My home is your home. And it was just incredible. I sit on her bed and she says, God has blessed me with so much and I've been given a healthy life and I just want to share my home with you. And she leaves and I sit on her bed and look around at her house and there are holes in the walls and there's dirt on the, the whole floor is dirt and I look at the ceiling and there's holes in the ceiling and um, in that moment as a poor college student I used to think that um, I, I had nothing to give um, and that moment really showed me that 
um, God's grace is not bound by what you have, and He can use you, and as long as you're willing to serve Him, that woman was very, very um, influential in speaking the gospel to me. God can use you if you're willing to serve, as long as you haven't disqualified yourself already. I mean, the reasons that you may have disqualified yourself may be the very issues that God may use to work in and through to reach that next person who may be also imperfect like you. Maybe. Our scripture was read very well today. Let's go through the detail of the story. There was a, a lake here, the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Gennesaret. And there are a lot of people who had heard about this Jesus character. They'd heard about some of the great things he had done. So they were following him around so much so that they were now kind of pressing up against him. And in order to have some room to speak with them, he had to get into a boat. And he convinced it looks like it was Simon to kind of push out away from the boat a little bit so that he could kind of fashion a little bit of an amphitheater. The acoustics were probably really good. And he can now get back away from them and talk to all of them about who knows what probably really good stuff. Simon probably had heard of this Jesus character before, and in, at least in the midst of, of this particular situation, he heard a really good sermon and, so, and felt so good and so confident about this Jesus person that he was already willing to refer to him as master. And you hear that when Jesus says after the sermon's over, hey, push out into the water. We think this is probably early morning. Push out into the water and then drop those nets into the lake. And I say we think it was probably early, early morning because, A, we're told that they had fished all night and they'd caught nothing. And so they're doing that thing that you do. You go onto the shore and you repair, you mend your nets, you clean everything up, and then you go home because you fishermen apparently always work the night shift. It's when the fish are out, it's when the fish are biting. Well, this was not the right time to fish. And the nets and the boats perhaps weren't quite ready. But this Jesus person was important Important enough that when he says, why don't you push out a little bit, you do it. And when he says, why don't you drop the nets into the lake, you say, master, master, it hasn't gone well tonight, and it's not the time to fish, and we know that the fish don't bite right here, but if you say so, we'll throw these nets out into the lake. And you know what happens. <laughs> Fish just start jumping into the boats. And not just a few fish, but a lot of fish. So many fish that the nets were beginning to break. And if you kind of look, if you remember, the boats were starting to sink. And so John had to signal for some help. And we think it was probably, uh, sorry, Simon had to signal for some help. And we think it was Simon. We think it was James and John. Gracious who came out and helped and helped to rescue. I hope that they were able to salvage all the, the, the fish and all of the boats. I don't know, but there was something about the situation. There was something about the abundance that this Jesus spoke into existence. Something about it that gave Simon Peter the same kind of sinking feeling that Isaiah felt in chapter 6. I am in the midst of something more than a rabbi who speaks well. And so he says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a man of unclean lips. I am a sinful man. Now, verse 9, for he and all who were with him were amazed at the cache of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. But Jesus' response to this is fascinating to me. 
Jesus said, do not be afraid. Is that an odd place for that line? Think about this for a minute. Simon Peter owns his own sinfulness. I am a sinful man. I do not deserve to be in your presence. You, being who you are, know, recognize that I am a sinful man. In response, Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. Isn't that interesting? Was Simon afraid in that moment that Jesus would backhand him somehow in a giant divine sort of way? Was he afraid for his life? No, but there was a sense of fear apparently because Jesus could smell it. Jesus sensed it. Perhaps here's what it was. If you're God, then you know who I am. So Peter is found out. Have you ever been found out? <laughs> Have you ever tried to hang on to something, some sort of a secret? Have you ever tried to hang on to some sort of a, maybe it was that, the secret of that bad habit, that bad thing, that bad attitude, that bad thought? Have you ever tried to hang on to it pretty, pretty tightly? Have you ever felt the sheer terror when you recognize that you, for whatever reason, have been found out. Simon was found out. Simon had this deep, sinking feeling that Jesus knew all that there was to know about Simon. And here is perhaps the most terrifying part. It's probably true. Jesus probably did know, somehow, the heart of this man. And if Jesus didn't yet know the heart of this man, he would see the heart of this man in the story that unfolds in the relationship between Jesus and Simon. And yet, Jesus calls Simon into ministry. Do not be afraid, perhaps, of the judgment that you suspect or that you fear is headed your way. Do not be afraid of that. Instead of the judgment that perhaps Simon thought was on the way, here's what he got. I would like to deputize you. I'd like to bring you onto the team. I'd like to call you into ministry. Simon throws himself under the bus he is at Jesus' knees, at Jesus' feet. Perhaps at some point here, he might have asked for forgiveness, but he doesn't, nor does Jesus demand it. And what he gets from Jesus, though he perhaps was expecting judgment, was belief and a choice and an invitation. From now on, you will be catching people. Now, I did a little bit of reading about this particular phrase because you, you can see here that's a little bit different from a phrase that gets translated fishers of men. This particular phrase here in the book of Luke is so much more dynamic than what the English language allows it to be. This is not a catching people with a hook somehow 
uh, tricking them so that you can somehow, as a Christian or as a church, kind of consume them. This is more like rescuing people. From now on, says Jesus to Simon Peter, you will help me rescue people. You're going to be helping me to fish people out of these situations that are going to cost them their lives if someone doesn't come along and rescue. This is Jesus saying to Simon, Simon Peter, you're going to help rescue and salvage lives the same way you see me rescuing and salvaging lives. Wow. In response to Simon Peter saying, I am a sinful man. And there was something so compelling about this response Man, I hope you're catching this part. Something so compelling about this response to Simon's sinfulness that it motivated Simon Peter, according to verse 11, to leave everything to follow. Grace is a much better motivator for Christian behavior than threat of judgment. I'm not sure it got heard very well from this side of the room. If you want to move people, help people to move toward Christ-likeness, to consider that perhaps life can be salvaged, that that their lives can be rescued, can I help you with something? As I am trying to get you every week, every week, to understand yourself as a fisher of people, understand yourself as an evangelist, as as an outreacher, hear me say this. God does more with grace than you do with threat. even with you. Now, right? Now, for some of you in the room, that is the hardest move to make because some of you are really good, and maybe I'm in this category sometimes, really good at saying, we must extend grace to this person. We must not. We must not extend threat to this person. But when it comes to me, I think I'm more likely to threaten myself than I am to give grace to myself. Anybody else in the room like that? But what if, even where I'm concerned, the potential evangelist, what if even where I'm concerned, what if grace meted out by God does more than a threat? I think it does. Fred Craddock said this this week, Simon's skill is not the issue. The issue is his life. In Jesus' eyes, his sin does not disqualify him. The same power that prompted Simon to fall at Jesus' knees now lifts him into God's service. Wow. I have another video to play for you. I texted him last night. I didn't actually technically ask for permission to play it, but he kind of made the video, so I feel like I have permission to play it. I love Jeremy Miller. Jeremy Miller is a minister, is a minister. Now, some of you don't know who Jeremy Miller is. You're about to, because you're about to see it. Now, Jeremy does what Jeremy often does. Jeremy, in the midst of, in this video, is going to absolutely throw himself under the bus. Like Isaiah did. Like Paul does. Like Simon does. And in each occasion, including Jeremy's, The response to this willful admission that I've fallen short is not, yeah, 
you fell short. Yeah, there's lemons everywhere around here. The response is not judgment. It is an invitation to grace and companionship that results in powerful mission and ministry. Audio is a little hard on this one, so listen up. One way that God uh, showed up and surprised me uh, was I used to have the opportunity to serve at the City Rescue Mission for several years. And while I was there, I um, got the privilege to be around so many great people and oftentimes things that are difficult for other people to be around, um, individuals who are on the margins and are homeless, such as um, just the smells. Were I never noticed them. And then one day, after I'd left the city rescue mission, I was no longer there, I remember being here at church, and there was a gentleman who used to attend um, who was homeless. And I was leaving church, and he was coming in. And I remember the smell, his smell coming to me. And it bothered me so bad but more that I could smell it. And in that moment, I realized that I had so separated myself from people on the margins that those things that used to not bother me, they bothered me. And I've never forgotten that sense. That in order to serve and not be offended, I had so separated myself from the people on the margins that I could smell them when I got back into their orbit. Jeremy thought that that story was worth recording for your benefit. Jeremy's saying, perhaps in the tradition of Saul who became Paul, Isaiah, and Simon who become Simon Peter, perhaps in that same tradition, what you've just heard is Jeremy saying, I've moved too far from the action, and I'm now offended by what didn't used to offend my nose because I was so deep into it every day. promise you the response of God to Paul, the response of God to Isaiah, the response of God to Simon is the same as the response is to Jeremy today. It is, come on, come help me catch people. As it will be for you and me, as you and I come face to face, face to face with whatever it is, it goes into the category of failure, falling short, disappointing God, disappointing myself in front of God. I'm asking you each week to consider that you might be an evangelist. What I'm asking you is, will you let God call you into ministry? Folks, 
do you not think that God already knows what you don't do well? There's a real good chance that God already knows how often you fail. There's a really, really good chance that God knows exactly who you are and who you aren't. There's a really good chance that God knows that there are a few things about which you probably should feel sorry. (laughs) And God chooses you. And God chooses you. Again, we're not talking about a cheap grace that says, ah, so none of that stuff matters. What we're saying is, God sees it all, takes it all into account, says, yep, you'd be great at this. And in the process, the same grace that God will use to reach another human, that same grace will start to smooth your rough edges too. You've got to keep showing up. Grace binds you with far stronger cords than the cords of duty or obligation can bind you. In other words, maybe you and I would be better evangelists if we too could drink deeply of this grace that sees us for who we are, sees us for who we're not, and still with clear eyes chooses us anyway. There is somebody in your orbit that needs you to be the tangible expression of grace that needs you to be this tangible expression of hope, that needs you to be this tangible expression of rescue, you will be a better communicator of grace if you are, in fact, yourself enjoying grace. Years ago, I was, I mean, I think I was probably in junior high, middle school, and a guy by the name of Reuben Welch, how many of you, anybody remember the name Reuben Welch out there? Came to Richardson and did a a, a revival, did a week's worth of services, and I survived that revival like I did. But I'll never forget one sermon, and I am honored to parrot this line that he wrote. I'll never forget it. He was a guy who preached a lot with a handkerchief, seems like, toward the end of every sermon, His nose got to work out with that folded handkerchief. And here's what he said, and I caught it as a 12 or 13-year-old. He said, do you find yourself in need of grace? Do you find yourself in your honest moments in need of grace? Here it comes, he said. Well, just take some. There's enough. Have some. There's enough. Are you in need of grace? We say this every week, right? Please don't come to this table if you are not aware of your need for grace. That is present here. And have you ever noticed that we always have enough? Reuben Welch that day said, you need grace? Wiped his nose. Okay, take it. There's plenty to go around. And with this grace, God will not only move you and shape you and grow you and heal you, but it is altogether possible that that very same grace 
might be a lifeline for somebody else. We celebrate this grace every week. If you are coming to help us to set this table, would you go ahead and come on? We celebrate an open table here at Oklahoma City First Church. That means if you are aware of your need for grace, no matter what it is that you dragged in here with you, you are welcome at this table. And Heavenly Father, would you bless these elements? Bless these elements today, and may they today be tangible expressions of your unending, limitless love and patience for us, your unending and limitless belief in us that recognizes all that we are and all that we aren't and still has the audacity to choose us. God, choose us again today. Choose us. And may we sense it. May we know it. May we feel it. And then, God, may that same grace, in fact, be that lifeline for somebody else in our orbit that desperately needs to hear and know that there is grace enough for him, grace enough for her as well. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and exit your pew to the left and then to come forward with your hands cut. You'll come forward toward a person holding a plate of bread. As you get closer, that person holding the bread will snap off a piece, press it into your open hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it. Instead, dip it into a cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you dip it into that cup, that person will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then, if you would, find a place to pray. Now, some of you will circle right back around and go back to your spots and your pews, and you'll pray right there, and God will hear that prayer. If you choose to come to one of these front padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing. Someone will meet you there, anoint you with oil, and pray that prayer for physical, mental, emotional, relational, or familial healing. Perhaps you want to come to one of these mourner's benches, these kneeling benches up front, and we won't assume a thing, but at some point somebody will come by and touch you on the back, the neck, the shoulder, just to let you know that you are not alone, because you're not alone. Perhaps you want to make a special trip down here to dip your fingers into this bowl of water right now, very still. If you dip your fingers into this water, the hope is that you will then be reminded of the moment of your baptism when in the most official way, God welcomed you into the family of faith, the people with the mission. And maybe you just need to be reminded that you're still included. That's why this water is here, to remind you that you are still included. We're still counting on you. You still belong. I think we will not have recordings today because there's so much going on out there as we get ready for other stuff. But I hope that you will take seriously this opportunity to receive this tangible form of grace. May the words of Reuben Welch ring in your ears. You need some grace? Well, come get it. Come get it.
plenty. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you and every time you eat it, remember me. The same way he would take the cup, hold it up before them and say, this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant shed for you and every time you drink of it, remember me. May each of us today recognize that there is a tangibility to grace and that there is enough. There is enough. All across the sanctuary now, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God for the people of God.